the things that I'm constantly looking at and have been for the last 36 years as a photographer. We're not re- we're not. We should better push it, the button because I've only got one shot here. Uh, well, the button's pushed, but the button's I, pushed, but we I have gotta to go clap. to bed pretty soon. You know, it is getting up there. <laughs> He's an old timer. Okay. On- okay. <laughs> that was actually perfect. That was perfect. Go for it. We're all good, Chris. Welcome to Soul Punch Sunday. Welcome to Soul Punch Sunday. Chris. We're so excited to um, be here with Mr. Christopher Briscoe, an incredible photographer and just humanitarian and human in himself that has understood the ability to tie life and landscapes and capture those. Um, moments through photography into the landscapes of the, the face. landscape of the and face. And that's why I fell in love with him and why I am so excited and Brandon and I are so excited to have him here on Soul Punch Sunday yes. to share just who Mr. Christopher mm. Briscoe is and also um, during this time of the COVID how Christopher Briscoe is navigating himself and continue to be creative and inspired during this time. Well, thank Welcome. you. I'm so glad to <laughs> be on your show. I'm so impressed with what I've heard so far, and I'm, uh, I'm honored to be here. So, you know, during my 36-plus years, years as a professional photographer, I'm always looking at the creative process, and I'm always interested in what drives my creative process as well as others. And I'm trying to narrow it down to the essence of, of what I need to, to be creative and successful in what I do. And you know, there's nothing like being sequestered and quarantined in this to really have you face yourself and with no bullshit. I mean, you can fool yourself a lot of the time, but when you're by yourself for almost now two months, there's no fooling. There's no fooling around. Right. So I've I've narrowed it down to you know in my professional career um, two things you know the first thing is is passion and I know there's been a lot of pushback on that uh, cliche but I look at it more and more and you know you take yourself Brie you know if you're on the stage you know singing the most beautiful song and Brie without passion mm-hmm. it would be a nice song but it would be half of what it is. And so in my work, right. passion has always driven it. And I've had, before I was a professional photographer, I had other jobs, and I had some passion in them, but nothing like the passion I had when I bought my first Nikon camera in 1981. And I was so excited about this camera that I actually put it on the pillow next to me on my bed so I could wake up in the middle of the night and look at it. You know, my, my <laughs> that's like a full on Keith Richards. Yes, his guitar his and guitar yes. beside him. And he would wake up that's and right. write songs and play them and, and you know that them. And then I also read them. that John Lennon, when he was a kid, got his first bicycle, put his bicycle propped up right next to him on the bed so he could wake up and look at it. But um, yes, what? true story, <laughs> true stories, as well as Keith Richards. I read that in his autobiography, too. So that, that has always driven me. But the most important thing for, I think, all artists, all people, is practicing getting out of your comfort zone. And it's that fear that holds us back 
from success, I think our whole lives, I mean, if we want to ask the beauty out to the prom, part of us is going, oh, we're not good enough. He or she won't say yes. No, can't do it, can't do it. Or asking your boss for a raise or going for the record deal or walking up to someone in New York City who has this fantastic face, but they happen to be a hooker or a drug dealer and you're afraid they're going to yell at you and you either keep walking or you walk up and ask them if you can have the honor to take their photograph. So that's something, you know, you never really arrive there. You just have to keep practicing it. And talk about getting out of your comfort zone. I mean, being here sequestered, you know, for almost two months in a house, no matter where you live, it's getting out of your comfort zone. And I think the ultimate thing about this whole thing that, that adds so much stress to everybody involved is it's forcing us to face our own mortality. Something that we've been running from our entire lives, and here it is. And I'm lucky enough not to have any friends who have died. I've had friends who have been really sick from this. But you think, you know, part of your mind, when you go to that grocery store, you're looking at someone like, do you want to greet them, or do you want to, you know, are they your friend, or are they going to kill you? And um, that is right. getting out of your comfort zone big time. Right. Yeah, it's also a continual questioning of like, am I addressing the situation because of a, a preconditioned um, education of what's going on or because this is really a gut feeling? And I think that that's the beauty of passion in life is where we're fed information and narratives every single day and then when do we stop and we really like sit with ourselves like you said Chris in this time where you are quarantined and you're with yourself and all this stuff comes up and you realize is this really am I trusting my own gut or am I just following something that has been fed to me and I think the moment you can hone in on that and live your life through your actual intuition you're living in passion and understanding and curiosity to question the answers that are given to you and then you also have to be a person that's you know comfortable in your own skin and i think a lot of us aren't you know that you know we have to be around people to fill the void you know we have to you know being alone out in the middle of the ocean or bicycling across america or something is something a lot of people wouldn't consider because, whoa, they're all by themselves. Right. Yeah. I can say um, we've kind of been doing our social distancing very well. We certainly haven't been doing our quarantine very well. Um, <laughs> we've been out enjoying life and uh, getting out in nature and um, not... Uh, you know, but certainly in, in enjoying ourselves and not uh, being stuck in a house. And, you know, I haven't really been able to take this, you know, as, as seriously because we haven't known any, you know, I, have, I haven't even known anybody that's known anybody that's that's gotten this, uh, the virus so far. But I just found out earlier today in talking to my mom that uh, my aunt that passed mm. away um, actually passed away from the virus. Mm. Um yeah, in Spain, and so that's in Spain. That was yeah, it was pretty um, surreal to hear that, and and uh, you know, Chris, you wrote something. Bree and I read as we were on our way um, out doing our social distancing uh, outdoors a few weeks ago, 
about uh, the coronavirus and kind of like thanking it almost and it was it was really beautifully written yeah and beautifully said and i i don't know if that's something we can pull up and read yes. but it would be awesome just to hear that because i i that more than anything has stuck with <laughs> me mm-hmm. on just kind of getting through this this virus and that was yeah. one of the uh, really truly genuine statements that i've heard about this thank you well one of the things that you know w- as with your music when it touches your heart, you know, that's when you know yeah. that you're successful. You know, when I had my darkroom back in the 80s and I processed an 8x10 that had the perfect tones that I'd been trying to get forever, I actually remember right. crying in the darkroom. And I, and I can't even remember <laughs> what the picture was, but I do remember tapping into the feeling that if I'm creating something and it makes me cry in the darkroom, I know I got something that I need to pursue. (laughs) And that first week that I was back um, from Africa, uh, after traveling 32 hours and multiple airports, and if I had waited two extra days, I'd still be in Africa. But then I finally came here, and in this house alone, facing my own mortality, I knew I had to tap into that and write. So I wrote a letter, ironically, of gratitude to uh, COVID. And um, I just wanted to tap into it. And I I looked at it like all the other times I got out of my comfort zone as another great adventure. And so I I read this letter an hour ago just to check it out. It's kind of interesting, like, (laughs) oh, yeah, uh uh-huh, sure. Yeah, give it a couple more months and you'll probably tear this letter up. because, you know, here I am, you know, the first week I'm going, oh, boy, I've got this great opportunity to do all these things differently. And I'm going to clean my house and I'm going to write every day and, and work on my pictures from Africa and, and do three more books. And, oh, I'm going to take all these learning classes, online learning classes, and I'm going to learn chemistry and all this stuff that I never knew anything about and blah, blah, blah. And now, you know, circle back, you know, almost two months later, today, um, I... At four o'clock, instead of waiting until five, I had a stiff drink. I ate a complete bag of of, of uh, Fritos. Then I went on to I went on to a half a box a, a half a box of Oreo cookies. Oh yeah, I'm doing really great. I'm really thriving in this virus. Uh huh. Oh, I'm gonna change the world. Yeah. <laughs> You're going out in uh, style, well, my friend. Let, let's let's hear your your uh, coronavirus writing. Is that is something my what? that I, I believe changed the world more than more than the Oreos and the stiff drinks and all the other well, fun I, stuff that you did this oh, afternoon? Oh, 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 so it goes. Um, dear dear COVID nineteen. You've been like a ghost haunting us for a century. You're killing so many people around the world, but before you try to get me, I want to thank you for a few things that you've taught me. Thank you for reminding us how short and fragile our lives can be. Thank you for shaking us to our core and showing us that we're dependent on something much bigger than we thought. Thank you for forcing us to understand that we are all connected. Thank you for making us appreciate the luxury that we lived in, the freedom, health, and making us realize that we are taking it all so much for granted. Thank you for making us see how lost we were in our busyness, 
how often we were not taking the time for the most basic things. Thank you for forcing us to put aside the problems we thought that were so important and showing us what actually is very important. Thank you for nudging us to reevaluate our lives and the amazing insights waiting to be discovered. Thank you for pushing us to face fear and learn to embrace it. We are all forged in the shadows. Thank you for forcing us to stop wasting our money on unimportant things. Thank you for drastically slowing down the flow of automobiles that have torched our atmosphere for too long. The earth has been begging for a chance to catch its breath. Thank you for the opportunity to evaluate everything and the chance to change so much of it. We sensed that the world had to change, now we feel it to our bones. Thank you for the opportunity to set aside our differences and forgive others and ourselves. Thank you for reminding us that all war is meaningless. The only war worth fighting is the war against the virus. Thank you for teaching us humility this virus is the great equalizer. It could care less how wealthy you are, how important you are, or what tribe you belong to. Thank you for reintroducing simple technology into our lives, remote video medical exams, online learning, StoryCorps Connect, video gatherings, and the intimacy of a long phone conversation far outweighing the shallowness of texting. Thank you for pushing us to reach out to friends, reminding them, you are important to me. You matter. Thank you for bringing the books off of the shelves and back into our hands. Thank you for showcasing one of the most important words of all, gratitude. Thank you for letting us see the common grocery worker as an uncommon hero who works hard to make sure that we're all fed. Thank you for the heroes like Dr. Fauci and Bill Gates who demonstrate fact and science-based leadership. Thank you for reminding us that great leaders uplift others. Thank you for the many advances in technology driven by this virus. Thank you for unifying every scientist in the world with a common goal. Thank you for reminding us to plan for the next pandemic. Thank you for making us yearn for the simplicity of a long walk. Thank you for forcing us to reconnect and embrace the most important relationship we have, the one with ourselves. No one knows how long you will continue to stalk us, but I can assure you that we will never let you cancel sunsets, family, or love. No amount of tears will ever wash away hope. Sincerely, Christopher Briscoe. So if I read this in a year, if I'm still alive, <laughs> if there's anyone that will listen. Uh, no, seriously. Like, can we just like have a shout a out for a moment? <laughs> like, seriously, that's so good. Everybody needs to hear that. Uh, everybody needs to hear that. I, I forwarded that off to a, So through all of that, every day I've narrowed it down to four things I need to, have, to feel like I've had a successful day. Just four things. I've got to... That sounds like a soul Yeah, vitamins. there you go. i got to get... <laughs> soul vitamins. Soul 
lemons. What are you taking every day to make you walk into your way to be so full? So my vitamin has three essential things I have to do every day to not sink into the abyss. I have to get some exercise, so I go on this 40-minute walk every day. I have to learn something, and it doesn't have to be a chemistry book. It doesn't have to be... If I, if I read 20 pages in a book, you know, about the invention of electricity, I'm good. And like you, I have to create something. And luckily, you know, for artists, yeah. we have... You know, our paintbrushes, our studio, our, our musical instruments, you know, our writing. You know, you can write a novel on, on you know, right. the kitchen top table. You know, you don't need a lot of expensive stuff. Um, I love working on my recent Africa pictures in Photoshop and my writing my books. And the fourth thing I have to have, and I don't always get it every day, is I have to have a meaningful conversation with somebody. Um, and that's, you know, this is my fourth thing with you guys for the day. Um, on the news today, they talked about a new app that someone came up with where you put in your phone number and they promise that they're not going to share it with that anyone's going to give you robocalls. But you can randomly connect with people who speak your language anywhere in the world. So I'm, I'm, I'm thinking I'm going to do it and see... I mean, you can, you also put in, you know, in, you know, what your interests are, um, you know, like if you want to talk about philosophy or, m you know, medicine or whatever, um, and then you get these random calls from people around the, the world. So I'll report back next time and see how it works. But those are the four things I need. I got to exercise, I got to learn something, I got to create, and I got to communicate. Chris, you, you are exceptional at what you do because we'll tie back into passion um, because you truly love what you do. And I think when we align, whether you're a musician or a photographer or an artist of any sort or even someone in business, yes. when you really understand what you are wanting to yes. cultivate with that vision you can align that energy to create the most profound and life-changing experiences. And having worked with you, Chris, I know that I was able to step into a version of myself um, and an understanding of who I am more than I ever could have. And that comes from an honest person who has a vision and allowing the other person to have a vision and meet visions and then decide what that vision is going to be together. Well, thank you. I, I just respect and am attracted to people that are excited about what they do, whether they're changing spark plugs or selling shoes or creating incredible music. You know, there's nothing like, you know, I know a lot of people that have high verbal IQs that are frankly duds. You know, they can, you know, really get into spreadsheets and, and quantum analysis and all this, but to share ideas and passions and take it to the next level, it's it's very tough for a lot of people. So the other thing, you know, we talked about is getting out of your comfort zone, and I have a short story um, about passion and succeeding to get out of your comfort zone, because a lot of us, you know, have the passion and we want to take the leap, 
but there's something right. that holds us back. You know, there's, you know, that, well, you know, and a lot of things are very real, like, you know, family and kids and mortgages and, you know, responsibilities and all those things, you know, are very real. But a lot of people hold themselves back, I think, for, for they make up reasons why they shouldn't take the leap. And one time, you know, I've been, I just finished a, um, a book all about New Orleans. It's called um, The Spirit of New Orleans and the Characters Who Live There. And a couple years ago, I was working there. And this <laughs> woman was um, helping me. Her name was uh, Bree. And she was, if, 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 <laughs> If 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 the if she reinvented the word hippie free spirit because this woman embodies all of that and talent and passion and more. So here I am in this little nightclub, right? And I'm sitting in this booth, you know, nursing my drink, and there's this band, you know, on the on the on the stage. And Bree, being this free, you know, Brandon, I want you to listen to close to this now. Um, <laughs> you better take notes on this one, buddy. So. Um, Brie, being the free spirit as she is, she just gets, you know, so what? No one else is dancing. She gets right out there and starts doing this wild, passionate dance. And I'm stirring my martini going, oh, boy, what's going to happen here? So the bass player, you know, is just like he's, he's way in the back going boom, dee boom, dee boom. And he starts edging forward, right? So pretty <laughs> soon his feet physically and metaphorically are over the edge of the stage, right? And he just... He's, yes, and she's doing back bends and splits and everything else you can imagine, Thank you know, you, yes, whatever. And this guy, he just wants to take the ultimate leap, metaphorically and physically, off the stage. But the problem is, now talk about passion, you know, this guy, you know, poor, there's passion like you could cut it with a knife in that place. So, and I'm stirring my martini. Oh boy, what's going on here? So, you know, the back bends are getting bigger and the splits are getting wider and the dance is getting better. And the guy, his feet now, you know, instead of his toes over the edge of the stage, now his, he's on his heels just hanging on to the back of the stage. But the problem is, the problem is, the cord that is connecting his bass to the amp isn't long enough. It's not long enough. He wants to make the leap, but he can't. And every time he goes to make the leap, that and his 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 neck is going forward like a woodpecker, you know, just pecking along, just with a beat, ding, 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 right? And his feet want to take the leap off the stage, but he can't because the cord isn't long enough. Now, you know, he could have unplugged, you know, but no, he had obligations. He had obligations to his band members, to his bass, to the amp not being pulled over, to all these things, but he wanted to make the leap. And the poor guy is probably still playing the bass, boom-de-boom-de-boom, thinking, oh, what if I just unplugged and made the leap? And that's a true story, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, from but, New Orleans. But... <laughs> <laughs> it was a true story and what a metaphor. What a metaphor. Life, like where we want to make that. We leap, allow, allow that, that damn cord. cord. That might not be serving us. But the, the beautiful thing about this story is that he unplugged and he chased us on the road, Chris, as we walked out that well, night. Yeah, club. when you were off the dance floor. <laughs> and begged us to come back to listen when, for when, more. When, <laughs> when you were off the dance floor, he had nothing more you know, to do the woodpecker peck with. And he just ran down the street. And he looked at me and he's trying to put it together. Now, is this her dad? Her who? Uh, you know, and he just couldn't. And he just kind of. 
He just says, please, please come back. And Bree being Bree kind of smiles and waves over her shoulder, takes my arm, and we continue on down the sidewalk. Poor guy. Poor guy. Um, I wonder if he'll evaluate. He's been evaluating. I bet that. <laughs> Get a longer cord next time. That's one of the things that I think uh, I'm hoping that this time is going to let us reevaluate. We have all these cords, and now after it's over, we're going mm -hmm. to think about which cords we need to plug back in. And we certainly had too many, I did, had too many cords plugged in. And I am going to pick and choose carefully to the cords I want to plug yeah. back in. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. It's, it's so beautiful because you think about how we come into this earth and how we come into life is through an umbilical cord, right? But then we get cut from it. And so our nature is to continually have multiple umbilical cords, these connectivities that give us validation of life. But if that life is no longer serving you, it is totally okay, just like in the birth of life, to sever yourself from that and create a new sort of um, connectivity without discounting where you came from. And ironically, when that umbilical cord is cut, we cry. Yeah. And just think, if it was never cut, man, yeah. we'd still... We'd... Going back to gratitude and gratitude for the COVID and what it's teaching is that we have emotions and we're so lucky to feel. And let us not forget that. Even the fact that we might feel so uncomfortable and so sad or so discouraged like in that time choosing to say wow i'm so grateful that i have the ability to feel these emotions and the other experience of being forced to be by yourself i forget the philosopher but a jillion years ago someone once said you know give someone the time enough to just sit alone with their own thoughts mm. you know they can figure out anything and when you're forced to be by yourself, yeah. uh, oh, I'll give I'll give your audience a, a good challenge to 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 connect with self and to get out of your comfort zone. And on the top of it, it's going to sound like, well, that's easy. But I want I I, I dare you to try it. Go into the bathroom. Make mm -hmm. sure that no one can hear you. Lock the door. <laughs> get couple feet or a couple inches away from the mirror and have a long, sincere, two-way conversation with yourself. And most people, including myself, at the end of 10 minutes will be in tears. And... Um, Why? Well, because I think that we fool ourselves. We have this kind of outer skin, even with ourselves, you know, all relationships are important, but the most important one is the one that you have for your, with yourself. And ironically, it's the most difficult one. That's why so many of us get depressed. That's why so many of us walk around um, being pissed at other people and being talking to ourselves. We're not really talking to ourselves. We're venting about someone we're pissed at. Um, 
Yes, and it's really, it all comes down to your relationship with yourself. And um, this is a perfect opportunity to work on, you know, in the, in the 70s, there used to be, there was a best-selling book called How to Be Your Own Best Friend. And it sounds like a silly <laughs> title, but this book flew off the shelves, and it gave each, people the first idea of, gee, you know, I guess I should um, foster that relationship. But seriously, go in the bathroom, make sure no one can hear you, and have the conversation, a two-way conversation with yourself. Yeah. It's, a, um, it's a great thing. Yeah. Yeah, I, I love that because tying into that also is like really realizing that a lot of where we come from is that child form of ourselves and who we are evolving to be and the pains and everything that we are learning along the way is our our inner child. And so a great one of the greatest lessons I learned is not only to be able to have that space with yourself to communicate and that that form but also to identify that child and how would you speak to them would you address them the same way you do to your adult self that is usually a lot more like aggressive and a little more um how can I say it's just not as tender let's say and so if you learn to address yourself in that more like childlike way and caught and and console and nurture that child in yourself that is really the birth of learning how to embrace well if you're in that if you're in that bathroom by yourself and you start yelling at the other person that tells you that you need to foster this relationship and make it better one of the things that um i loved in researching you chris was um you know, you've you've you, you've taken pictures of a lot of the most famous people on the planet, and I mean, besides um, Brie, you know, I. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is the most famous person to uh, to me, but um, yes, you've taken a lot of the most. Uh, I mean, just incredible pictures of uh, very very famous people, but. Mm-hmm what really captured my attention in an incredible way was um, the people that nobody knows that um, are just so brilliant and so beautiful. And, uh, you know, there's there's a picture, for example, on, on your Instagram that I was looking at this morning, and it's of a of a guy in Africa, and... Um, you know, he just was so taken aback by the fact that you wanted to take his picture. Mm-hmm. And um, he started talking about, you know, goats being the most, you know, valuable thing, mm-hmm. but he doesn't value money. And <laughs> it's just like, um, but the picture just brings what, what was really just resound, you know, in my mind was the fact that this picture of this, this person um, that nobody knows was just so brilliant and so beautiful and captured so much life and so much character. Um, and, uh, you know, not taking away from all the, the pictures you've taken of all the famous people and presidents mm-hmm. and different, Catherine you know, Jones, <laughs> I mean, incredible pictures. That to me was, was more, 
uh, genuine, mm-hmm. more real, more uh, sensual than any of the other pictures. And I'd, I'd love to kind of get your take on that uh, as, you know, the, 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 the purpose of Soul Punch Sunday is really bringing the, the art and, and bringing local artists in. And I, I'm just curious, you know, from that art side of things, what, uh, you know, what you feel when you're out taking pictures yeah. of these, uh, you know, people in Africa versus mm-hmm. taking a picture of somebody that might be a famous president or right. actress. Or well, whatever. about, um, I can remember the moment this, this happened. It was about 11 or 12 years ago, and I was in a, a, a city garbage dump in Thailand across the river from Myanmar, Burma where all of these refugees mm. had to swim across the river to escape uh, the hunter there and live in the garbage dump. And a couple days prior, I was in beautiful Montecito, California, at um, a famous movie star's house. The first name of his, with is Catherine. And Catherine is a wonderful mom. And she has two great kids that were then like five and six years old, a boy and girl. and she obviously, I spent the whole day, maybe a day and a half with her, and she loves her kids. And the way she would talk to her kids, you know, I could tell that she just wanted two or three things for them. She wanted them to be healthy and happy and have some kind of education in their life. So here I am in the dump a couple days later with the refugees, and I was sitting in the ashes mm. with this mother and her, her, her two children. And of course, I couldn't um, understand her language, but I watched them as she was showing them how to take the labels off of these old tin cans so that she could take them to the recycling center and get a couple pennies. And she was just as loving as Catherine was. She wanted the same thing. She wanted them to be healthy and happy and have a little bit of education. And I kind of looked at that, and I realized that we're all on this common ground. <coughs> and mm. there was a, a shift that happened in my soul then, and I knew that's what I needed to do, and it wouldn't be to necessarily give up mm. photographing the, the 1% in Santa Barbara, Washington, D.C., but being able to connect mm. with someone in a dump in Thailand, or later I went to, a, a, several years later, I, I went to another dump in Cambodia, uh, where a mother mm. worked for an entire week. I think she made maybe $7 a week. Um, she invited me home, and I got to meet her husband and her family. And just being with them, it was, it filled my soul. And it doesn't have to be there. It can mm. be in Washington, D.C., or uh, in Santa Barbara, or wherever. Um, but that's where I wanted to take my photography and that's what I've been doing ever since whether it's be in Africa or or wherever yeah I remember that you shared a story and I would love to like touch upon that again where you bought you you brought your um the printer yes so when I was in um when I was with that woman in the Thailand dump Epson back then made this kind of cumbersome uh, little photo printer that was about as big as a shoebox that ran on a battery. So I took a bunch of paper with me and ink, and I hauled this printer around with me, and I made people in the dump 
which was probably their first family portrait and handed it to them on the spot. And, you know, as you travel, you know, we all have digital cameras and we take pictures and we show the people the back of the camera and that's it, you know. And it's kind of like, you know, we do take something from people like that when we take their picture. So I wanted to give something back. And when these people held this little um, print in their hand, it was like they would just look at it for minutes staring at every detail of their face or their kid's face or grandma's face. So then through the years, these printers have gotten smaller and smaller. And now a bunch of uh, manufacturers make um, printers, Bluetooth printers that are about as big as a cell phone, just a little bit fatter. So last year I went to India and I wandered out throughout India for a month by myself. And whenever I landed in a, a town, I would rent a moped and I would go, you know, in deep into the the little towns or jungles or wherever in, in India, and they would look at me like, oh my gosh, who is this white guy and what's he doing here? And then I would ask my permission if I could take one picture of a family. And when they said yes, I would hand them the picture, and for the rest of the day, I would be surrounded. Um, you know that great movie, Slumdog Millionaire? Um, well, I found that slum in Mumbai. And there are millions of people in the slum. And I went in there and I was out of my comfort zone, I can tell you. But as soon as I handed my first picture out, I could have stayed there forever. Mm. Wow. Wow. Amazing. And I, um, another thing that you've been heavily involved in, Chris, um, is bringing sight to people mm -hmm. Uh, in these these third world countries yeah. that have uh, been blind and sometimes for many years and uh, you know I actually uh, had a cataract mm. Uh, mm. for a number of years as a you know I don't know how I got it I think it was some had something to do with uh, getting hit in the face and all the yeah, water that'll do it. that I do throughout the years but you know I'm fortunate enough to live in a country where I can go in and uh, it's in outpatient yep. surgery and it's next 10 minute you know, surgery you've, get, you've got perfect vision again 10 minutes yeah it's mm -hmm. a 10 minute surgery and you're in and out and and uh, you've got perfect vision again and you're fine and i remember though for a number of years uh, or at least a number of months maybe a, about a year where my left eye was was yeah. almost blind and um you know my right eye compensated for it but i couldn't imagine these people that are going through and their lives blind when it's a 10 minute surgery that is allowing that allows them to see again and i'd love for you to, to talk a little bit about your experience with that and i'd love for our podcast and soul punch sunday to uh, be a part of helping support that cause well i was honored to be invited by hcp uh, the himalayan cataract project which is a, a group of cataract surgeons from different parts of the world that travel now mainly uh, in Ethiopia and do cataract surgeries. And I was with this team um, before Christmas for a month and I could not wait to go back. So I went back a couple of months ago for another month. Mm. And um, picture, the, the favorite time of my day was in the morning. We'd all get in this van and we'd go to this little tiny what passed for a hospital, uh, and under this huge canvas tent 
would be a couple hundred African people dressed in these amazing outfits, some as young as eight, ten years old, uh, some as old as 85, 90. And the day before, they had all had their cataract surgery, and they had all had to sleep that night underneath this huge tent. It's kind of like almost a big circus tent, straw on on the ground, and these big bandages over their eyes. So I would walk a couple feet behind the handful of doctors that I was with, and they would take off the bandages. And the patient would stand up with their wooden cane, and most of them were farmers and sheep herders, and, and the bandages would come off, and they would just stand there sometimes for a few minutes, and their brains would be trying to comprehend the fact that now they could see and some of them had been totally blind, and many had just had partial wow. vision. But they stood there, and sometimes mm. the tears would roll down their cheeks, and then the smile would come, and then they would do that thing that Africans do with the, their tongues. They go, and then that sound <laughs> would echo throughout the tent, and other people would be going, and then some of them would get up and start dancing. And I would look over, and my doctor friend would have tears in his eyes, and I would have tears in mine. Uh-huh. And to be able to be a part of a team where these people go in and change lives with a 10-minute operation that costs HCP about 25 bucks in donations. Mm-hmm. Um, I interviewed mm-hmm. uh, one of my favorite women I called the chicken lady, and she was about 80, 85. <laughs> Through her life, she had had six children. Five of them have died. And the remaining daughter brought her food and water once a week in this mud and stick hut that she lived in. Uh, she sat on a little bed with uh, her chickens all around her feet. And I went there the day before her operation, and she was a lonely woman in the dark waiting for that one-week delivery from her daughter. The next day, she's sitting on the bed. A chicken is sitting on her lap. She says, I want to jump as high as my chicken. All the neighbors came over and stuck their head through the open windows because they couldn't believe that the chicken lady could see. The next day, I interviewed a little girl. 10 years old. She told me, I always had an interpreter oh with me. Gosh. She told me through my interpreter, she said, I love school, but my teacher beat me because I couldn't see the chalkboard. He had me thrown out of school. Oh my and now finally, I have great vision and I can't wait to continue my education. I want to be a doctor. And when that thing wow. is before your camera, and you capture it in your camera and your soul at the same time, you're a changed person. Just like all those years ago in the dump in Thailand, and just a couple months ago, you know, with this little girl in the middle of Africa, a changed person, both of us, and the doctors who did this amazing operation. I think the most beautiful thing is like, what literally was being done is like 
an awakening and giving the ability to see, which brings me to the amazing journey and a, a new way of seeing, seeing um, Shifting Gears, um, a book that you've written and um, The Road Between Us with you and your son. I have a, a site that's set up all around my books and it's called shiftinggearspub.com. And if they go there, they can see all the books and they can also click on a thing that uh, I think is a li link to a short film that was made about the bicycle journey, uh, the length of Route 66 with my son Quincy. So you had this connection with your son and then you also, you took that on the road and you took that onto the sea. Well, the interesting thing about uh, a lot of these stories is that when I was um, just out of college, um, I really wanted to get out of my comfort zone. And um, I had an invitation, mm. a friend of mine um, in Del Mar built a 36-foot sailboat, and he invited me to be the crew member to help him sail it from uh, Cabo San Lucas, 4,000 miles to Tahiti. And back then, you know, we had to navigate with a sextant, and we had a bunch of jerry cans full of water and some canned food. So my son had always heard of this story. And when he was five, I taught my son how to sail on a 16-foot um, wow. Hobie cat. And now my um, son is a professional sailor and um, charters mm -hmm. all different parts of the world. And then... Um, Yes, in, in Santa, Santa Barbara. Barbara, right? So, so if you're in Santa Barbara, you should definitely. Yep, he's in Quincy. the Santa Barbara Harbor. And then um, when I was, after I got back from Tahiti, uh, a year or so later, I rode my bicycle with a buddy, uh, all the way across America, four thousand miles. Again, trying to get out of my comfort zone and just put my f feet over the edge of the cliff. So Quincy heard all those stories about my bicycle trip in 1976. So he rode his bicycle across America. Um, and then he rode it with a buddy from Alaska all the way down to Tijuana. So then a few years ago, um, I think two years ago, maybe three, he said, Dad, we got a ride from L.A., the length of Route 66 to Chicago. Mm. And the subtext was before mm. it's too late. And so we did that, and that was an amazing trip. Then, almost exactly a year ago, on the 15th of this month, he and I sailed um, a 32-foot boat from Santa Barbara all the way to Hawaii. So then, the interesting part with that is that he was the captain, and now I was the crew member. Mm. And passing that baton to him was a, was a really profound thing. What a great father-son experience. Well, one of the interesting things that um, followed us all the way up to Route 66 was and on Facebook and people that we would meet, um, you know, in a dry goods store, anywhere, people would say, gee, I wish I had done something like that with my dad, you know, or I wish I could. And, you know, I, there was this, this feeling of regret in so many of those, those people. And, 
you know, 14, you don't have to bicycle across America with her, but just do something fun and different. That's been wonderful. We've been planting gardens, and we uh, we spent the good part of the day uh, painting a new bike. Uh, we actually bought a new bike and allowed her to Fantastic. paint it any color she wanted. So there it was you really go. beautiful. Yeah. And uh, so speaking of, speaking of bikes, this is not the kind of bike you'd want to bike across America on, but <laughs> <laughs> it's a fun bike that allows her to express her creativity. And uh, certainly allowed us to have some connection and uh, allows for exercise. So um, if we can just and, and we learned. So I think we, we hit all four yep. of your uh, your daily mantras right yeah, there in, exactly. in one Fantastic. experience. <laughs> well, you're a lucky guy. Yeah, I loved that, by the way. I I I, uh, I kind of took the uh, the four mantras and. Um, created a word with it and I, I said it, I put it down as as elk exercise uh, learn create and connect Okay, E L C. Yep, two C's. C. E L C C. Yep, yep. I like that. Yeah. Bree taught me I how like to it. do that, so I can start remembering <laughs> shit. <laughs> yes. But uh, no, that was that was that was phenomenal. That's uh, something that I I think if we all uh, followed that that mantra, um, we'd just be a, a happier people. I have to round back to Chris your journey with your son so you took the bike ride and you guys also recently just did um your sailboat trip to Hawaii
Well, um, we had this amazing sailboat trip to Hawaii, and seriously, he was the captain in every sense of the word. You know, I love adventures, <laughs> but my son is a frickin' alpha mm. male. You know, I mean, his when he would tell me <laughs> to do stuff, he would even lower his voice even more. Um, I'd, I'd come up, and our watches were three hours on, three hours off around the clock. And my watch, you know, the <laughs> one I hated was the one from midnight to 3 a.m. But I'll never forget coming up top mm. and seeing him balancing on the boom, you know, re- making a sail mm. repair. And, you know, talk about mm. isolation. You were in the middle of a million square miles of water. The first week, we had no moon complete cloud cover and there's no uh, ambient light from any cities to you know light up anything and you could not see the horizon and you're in a 32 foot boat and you feel like you're just bouncing around on black ink and there's a mile of water beneath you so talk wow. about getting out of your comfort zone and um, it, it's it's a big deal but then uh, after a mm. week you know, I did not want to hit land. Uh, we didn't have any communication. We had a satellite thing where we could text uh, a buddy has to, who was helping us track the hurricanes that were chasing us. Um, you know, another thing mm. out of your comfort zone. You know, the hurricane's coming. You can't really, you know, where are you going to go to get, you know, out of its way? You just got to give up. There In that black mm. ink at, at midnight, there could be a thousand dead trees floating in front of you and you're not going to see one of them. And whatever separates you from the bottom of the ocean is maybe an inch, half inch of fiberglass. That's it. So you are way out of your comfort zone. So then we get to Hawaii and we have this amazing time. And Quincy's always had this way of, you know, he kind of just works at me. And first he drops the hint. He says, you know, Dad, every great sailor really wants to make a crossing by themselves. And I go, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's, let's go out and have some dinner. Mm. Uh, and then a couple of days later, he'll drop it again. Mm. So pretty soon, he, I knew he was serious. And we had made some other friends in Hawaii, uh, a couple that were on a boat, and they were also going back to the West Coast. So I thought, well, maybe he could shadow them. Well, you know, that's not going to happen very long. Um, anyway, long story short, mm. I finally gave in. And you talk about getting out of your comfort zone as a parent. I mean, it's like he's sailing off into these white caps over the horizon, and I'm running down the beach with tears pouring off of my face, thinking, what have I done? Wow. Uh, then, mm. he, using that Garmin, he would text me, every few days, and I was back in La Jolla. And, you know, to be a parent and feel, you know, we all feel like we have some control over our kids or their safety or whatever. And I knew I had no control. Every day he would text me his position, which I would plot on this big chart that I had on the table. And then they they have a really cool, a lot of um, nautical weather apps that you can go on your desktop, and one of them uh, tells you exactly where he is, the exact direction of the wind, uh, the swell height, what the wind is going to be tomorrow, and where it's going to be coming from. So I would help him um, make decisions 
on plotting his course. And I felt like, oh, you know, I've got lots to say so in control here. I got no control. You know, um, one time the waves, he mm. didn't tell me this until he got back to California, but the waves were coming over the bow so strongly that they were going up the vent of one of his water tanks, contaminated half of his drinking mm. water. Boom, right there. And so then he said, gosh, do I keep the water or drain it or to make, and so he drained it. So the next day he got hit by a big squall and he captured 10 more gallons of fresh water in his sail and refilled the tank. But, oh, thank goodness. you know, as a dad, wow. it is like you realize you don't have any control at all. And now with this corona, mm. you know, it could, you know, whoever you brush up against at the market or whosoever cart you right. touch or whatever, you can't see it. You can't know when you touch it. You have no control at all. That's right. We all need to release that that desire mm. and sense of wanting to have control over mm. everything. But, mm. uh, you know, in order to allow for liberation and freedom, it's... All you parents yeah. out there, don't blow it. Every yeah. second is sacred. Absolutely. So I just want to leave you with one more thing, all of you parents that might be listening. I'm reading, I'm in my bathroom right now, reading off of the most important thing I have pinned to my mirror. And it's a note that I got, oh, I'm going to have a hard time getting through this. It's a note that I got texted to me from the satellite Garmin thing when Quincy was sailing back to Santa Barbara. And it was on my birthday. Latitude 34.458. Longitude minus 137.032. August 11th, 2019. Happy birthday, my dad. My best friend, my hero. I hope you're enjoying this wonderful day. The sun is out. The light is... Uh, we have a um, light 10 to 12 knot southwest breeze. 
You are missed aboard. Thank you for this trip, Dad. Both with you and coming back alone have truly been life-changing experiences for me. There's nothing like it. I can't thank you enough. I love you, Dad. Quincy. So if any parent has a note like that, that's all they need. There can be no more successes in their life that will ever go beyond that. Beautiful. Oh my gosh. Absolutely beautiful. Thank you for sharing that, Chris. It's really about the the longitudes through our relationships, right? Mm. And whether it be actually a, a, a sail trip or the longitudes between a relationship and just trying to measure how to exist with two individuals that are trying to understand themselves at the same time. It's so beautiful. And then when you reach that point where there's an acknowledgement of a equal measurement, I think that is, as you're saying, Chris, like such a celebratory moment and you pin that up on your mirror and you get out of the shower, you get off the toilet and you look at that and you are reminded this is what lights me up and keeps me breathing every day and this is why we need connectivity and interaction and this is why COVID has been the most challenging because it's isolated people who only want connectivity and so may we remember that no matter what our circumstances, we're here to connect to each other in whatever form that may be, whether yeah. it is physical, whether it is virtual, but we cannot let an obstacle cut us off from the very thing that we're here to learn, which is the human heart connection and how to connect to each other and learn each other and celebrate each other. So I, and everything else is trivial. Yeah. yeah. True. It is. It's trivial and it's also marketable. And so everything else is the beauty of how we can also survive on this earth is creating a market and selling. And there's no wrong in that. But remember that at the end of the day, where do you go to be held and where do you go to be loved? and Where do you go to be appreciated and celebrated and within that creates the life that continues to turn and create and innovate and we're so honored to have you here with us Chris because you are capturing so many forms of what life is about the landscape of the face and nature and um, connectivity and relationship with sun and yourself and um it's such an honor you're such an inspiration and 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 you 
and you. <laughs> you know, I have to say that whenever I want to learn a new Photoshop technique and I want some really interesting pictures to work with for my files, your file is the first one I go to. <laughs> <laughs> so many. Thank you. I, I just have to say here, um, you know, I don't, I don't know you nearly as well as Bree does, and you guys have known each other. I think we counted like 10 plus years yeah. earlier today. But uh, in getting a chance to go through all your photography and seeing what you you capture, it's it's unreal. I mean, uh, people are too used to just capturing selfies on their yeah. iPhones and not really uh, capturing the life and the beauty that that these uh, photographs that you're able to create are are capable of. And I was blown away, mesmerized by the quality of your photography and the story that a simple picture can take yeah. uh, when it's done with passion, mm -hmm. as you mentioned, and, uh, and, and true love and intention. Mm -hmm. And you can see that in your photography. So I encourage people to really check you out and yeah. see what, what photography really uh, can be when, when done with those, those things. Absolutely. Well, Brendan, thank you. What would be a real honor for me, Brendan, is when this whole uh, COVID thing is over, I would love to take a picture of you and your daughter mm. that you are going to have with you forever. Uh, yeah. I would be honored. That's what I would love to do. I'd be honored. Thank you so much, Chris Briscoe. You are such a force of nature that allows for us all to step into our deepest artistic and creative form and connectivity and, and the heart connection, which we're here to all experience. Um, I would love you to share with us where we can continue to visit and explore um, what you have to offer. Where can we find you? Oh, all you have to do is look for Chris Briscoe or Christopher Briscoe. Uh, and shiftinggearspub.com, and um, yeah, I think even Shifting Gears um, Publications has its own Facebook page now. Perfect. And you can find Chris Briscoe on Instagram, and we'll we'll tag all of that. So look out for us. We'll uh, we'll definitely note all those things in our podcast. And um, yeah, this is a this is a person to follow. And uh, within following this person, I'm so honored to say that you can also follow a deeper part of yourself. And that's what we're here to do is to connect with each other so that we can connect deeper to ourselves. So, Chris, we love you. And thank you so much for for being. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what a pleasure. Thanks. I'll <laughs> see you guys soon. See you we'll soon. See Thanks, Stay Chris. inspired. Okay. <laughs> okay. Bye bye.